Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It's broader than the earth and wider than the sea. If God comes and puts a person in prison or calls the court to order, who can stop him? For he knows those who are false, and he takes note of all their sins. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. If only you would prepare your heart and lift up your hands to him in prayer. Get rid of your sins and leave all iniquity behind you. Then your face will brighten with innocence. You will be strong and free of fear. You will forget your misery. It will be like water flowing away. Your life will be brighter than the noonday. Even darkness will be as bright as morning. Having hope will give you courage. You will be protected and will rest in safety. You will lie down unafraid and many will look to you for help. But the wicked will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is death. Welcome back to our study of Job. I'm Ian, and this is the Sailor Time to Pause podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I will stop and breathe in your presence, just breathe, just breathe. I've been privileged in my life to meet and encounter some very clever and wise people. And one thing that I find striking about each of them is their willingness to say, I don't know. More than that is their excitement when they've said, I never knew that or I'd never thought of it that way before. The cleverest and the wisest people know the limits of their knowledge and they're not afraid to admit them. The cleverest and the wisest ones are the ones who are excited to learn more. That's particularly true when it comes to the things of God. I've always been suspicious of Christians who seem to have all the answers, an unshakable opinion on every topic, a resolution for every doubt and a scripture for every occasion. I've much more time for those who don't know all the answers and who recognize that there are not always easy solutions, for God exists in mystery. In fact, I've often found also that the very folk who are more likely to say, I don't know, have often thought much more, read much more, wrestled much more, prayed much more, reflected much more, learned much more, and do, in fact, know much more than those who had claimed to have those answers. I'm guessing you're familiar with the quote, the more I learn, the more I realise how much I don't know. I'm not sure who first coined that expression. It's been attributed at times to Albert Einstein, Aristotle, Socrates and others. It's such an obvious axiom that it's probable that it existed even before Socrates. There's so much to learn that the more that we learn, the more we realise the vastness of what it is that we don't know. In our text, Zophar utters a magnificent statement that relates this to God. He says to Job, Can you solve the mysteries of God? Can you discover everything about the Almighty? Such knowledge is higher than the heavens. And who are you? It's deeper than the underworld. What do you know? It's broader than the earth and wider than the sea. The first great truth that Zophar states is the incomprehensibility of God. The more we learn of him, the more we realise the vastness of what we do not understand about him. 
God is transcendent, far above us. He's so high and exalted, so great and majestic, so wonderful that we can neither understand his mysteries nor can we search out his limits. He's beyond the ability of humans to fully comprehend him. What kind of God would he be if we could wrap our minds around him and his ways? What kind of God would he be if we could predict where he would go and how he would get there? What kind of God would he be if he worked out of the same limited view of the world and history that we do? He'd be small. He'd be like us. He could be rivaled. He could be called into question and it would be right to doubt him. But he's none of those things. He's infinitely big, working from a vantage point we can't even comprehend, with power to execute his plan so great that no one can thwart his will for even a moment. The chasm that exists between his plane of thought and ours is too big for words to capture. In his unending wisdom, knowledge and power, he has planned all of eternity from start to finish. Isaiah says this, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I've made an everlasting covenant with you, and I will give you all of the unfailing love I promised. God's thoughts are higher, and his love is deeper than we could ever grasp. We know the depth of someone's love for us by what it costs. We've perhaps each had friends who have always been there next to us when life is going well, when days are easy and nights are full, only to then see them fade into the background when times are not so good. Part of growing up is learning that there's no depth of love in the relationships of such fair-weather friends. On the other hand, though, there are friends who will sacrifice. This is how we can see the depth of God's love for us. If anyone would sacrifice their life for us, it assures us of deeper love than if they would only, say, sacrifice just a few bruises. Sometimes we're so familiar with God's spectacular love that it doesn't move us as it should. We have to look at something lesser, be amazed, and then look back to really feel the wonder of the original. The story is told of a group of prisoners during the Second World War who were made to do hard labour in a prison camp. Each had a shovel and would dig all day and then come in and give an account of his tool in the evening. And one evening, 20 prisoners were lined up by the guard and the shovels were counted. The guard counted 19 shovels and turned in rage on the 20 prisoners, demanding to know which one did not bring his shovel back. No one responded. The guard took out his gun and said that he would shoot five men if the guilty prisoner did not step forward. After a moment of tense silence, a 19-year-old prisoner stepped forward with his head bowed down. The guard grabbed him, took him to the side and shot him in the head, and turned to warn the others that they'd better be more careful than he was. When he left, the men counted the shovels, and there were 20. The guard had miscounted, but the prisoner had given his life for his friends. Can you imagine the emotions that must have filled their hearts as they knelt down over his body? In the five or ten seconds of silence, he had weighed his whole future in the balance, and he chose death so that others might live. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. Consider more what God's sacrifice of love involved. To get to the point where he could die, God had to plan for it. He left the glory of heaven and took on human nature so that he could hunger and get weary, and in the end, suffer and die. The incarnation of Jesus was the preparation of nerve endings for the nails of the cross. 
Jesus needed a broad human back for a place to be scourged. He needed a brow and a skull as a place for the thorns. He needed cheeks for Judas's kiss and soldiers' spit. He needed hands and feet for spikes. He needed a side as a place for the sword to pierce and from which blood could flow. And he needed it all for us. So when Ephesians 5 and verse 2 says, Christ loved you and gave himself up for you, don't breeze over the words, gave himself up. His love is shown by the costliness of his sacrifice. And his sacrifice was deeper than we could ever grasp. Mike Scott wrote a love song which was sung by Ellie Goulding in 2013 and its title asked the question, How long will I love you? Like so many others in the first flush of love, he wants to express his feeling that this time is different. This time what he feels is something that will outlast the other loves that he's felt. Other loves have perhaps come and gone. Circumstances have changed, lives have moved on and love has dwindled, but he wants to make it clear that this love is different. And so he tries to find expression. How long will I love you? As long as stars are above you. And longer if I can. How long will I need you? As long as the seasons need to follow their plan How long will I be with you? As long as the sea is bound to wash upon the sand How long will I want you? As long as you want me to And longer by far Zophar searches for the same expression and tells Job It's longer than the earth Your creator loved you when you were born And he'll love you when you die And he will love you beyond too God's love permeates your whole life from beginning to end His love for you will outlast this moment it will outlast your life. It will outlast even the days of the earth. You cannot escape God's love. God will never stop loving you. There's no time and no sin that can trump God's love for us. You could lie. You could steal. You could murder. You could gossip. You could even turn your back on him. But he will never stop loving you. Even after being nailed to a cross, Jesus expressed his love to the Roman soldiers who had stripped him naked beaten him beyond recognition, placed a sharp crown of thorns upon his head, mocked him, spat on him, and then nailed him to a cross to bleed and die. So don't tell us that God doesn't love sinners. But the thing is that we often don't recognise that. Too many times we compare ourselves to some glorified perfect image of what we believe a Christian should be, and then we beat ourselves up for not attaining it. We focus on our sin and our failings, we say that we can't possibly have or deserve God's love after the things that we've done. But let me remind you now, God loves you simply because he loves you. You don't have to work for his affection. You don't have to set yourself straight before God can pour out his love over you. The father in the prodigal son story ran to his son even though the son had turned his back on him. He hitched up his cloak and forsook his dignity to meet him before anything had ever been set right. 
He didn't know his son was there to apologize. He didn't care. He had just never stopped loving his son. Nothing could have ever made him do that. God's love outlasts all things. As Zophar said, it's longer than the earth. And loving sinners is God's speciality. One of the most subtle yet dangerous heresies of our time is that God loves good people, that God loves Christians. It's subtle, but it's insidious, because by inserting that simple word good, the gospel's changed and it's perverted and it's destroyed. No, God does not love good people. God loves all people. Jesus himself said, for God so loved the world, not the Jews, not the religious, not the church, not the good. God so loved the world. How could God not love his own creation? How could God not love the object of his plan of redemption? While we were sinners, Christ came. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the truth of the gospel. And it's so much broader than we often choose to remember. God's love is broader than just the church. God's unconditional love is for all mankind. God loves us because of who he is, not because of who we are. When you walk out of your door this morning, when you meet people in the street, every single other person that you'll see today is someone that God loves. Over the course of this week, you may come across someone that you don't like, someone who irritates you, someone maybe even who does things you detest, but even then you'll still not meet someone whom God does not love. You'll never meet someone for whom Jesus would not have died. Even if you find someone who hates themselves, who sees nothing lovely within their own being and who sees no point in living and who through substance abuse or strategy or suicide tries to find oblivion, no matter who you run into, you could tell them that God loves them and know that you are speaking truth. And so we all ought to do it perhaps a little bit more often. God's love is indiscriminate. It may be spoken to, promised to and applied to everyone without exception. God's love is higher than the heavens and deeper than the depths of Sheol. The love of God is beyond my understanding. But as I seek to grow in faith, as Margaret Macmillan put it in her song, Deeper Consecration, with the saints, I am now comprehending higher heights and deeper depths of God's love. God's love is longer than the earth and broader than our horizons. There are no limits to God's love. It applies to every ethnic group, every age, every socioeconomic category, and best of all, every degree of sinner from the bad to the very worst, because there aren't any other kinds. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, indiscriminate, universal, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What a great God we serve. How could we do anything else but praise him for his perfect love? Satisfied, taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for.
has been Sailor Time to Pause, a podcast from Plexus Salvation Army, an online church in the UK. I'm Ian. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Sam. If you've enjoyed journeying with us over these last few weeks, join us every Monday or any day that works for you to spend time together, taking time out to pause, catch our breath, draw near to God and refresh our spirits. We share Bible teachings, reflections on songs we're listening to and on what's going on in the world around us. As well as this, on the last day of the month, we look back and reflect, share any thoughts from our listener community and ask what we can take from it into our daily living. What we call our personal So What's for the month. Join us, making us part of your regular routine, spending a few minutes to listen to what God might be saying to you. Find us on your favourite podcast streaming service, on Facebook or YouTube by searching for Selah. That's S-E-L-A-H. Time to pause.